Right, so hello, hello. This is Dwayne von Rensburg from Radio Pulpit 657 AM and Cape Pulpit 729. And it's such an awesome privilege to be spending the next hour with you. I am uh, so excited and I am so blessed in sharing with you perhaps one of my most memorable moments um, in my radio career. I've, I've had the privilege over the course of the past few years of of uh, spending time with very high-profile people in the industry, not even, uh, not only locally but also internationally, and um, it's always been a privilege. And I constantly remind myself of the absolute blessing and privileged position I'm in. So I've got my humble counters uh, in place when when I talk to high-profile people, and a lot of times at the end of an international interview. I just got to pinch my skin and I got to remind myself whom whom I've just spoken to. But this one is perhaps not only an interview, but this one was perhaps a life-changing experience. I am talking about the interview that a bunch of us had with, with Michael W. Smith. And um, I was fortunate along with my colleague, uh, Janine van Kerk, and we were fortunate being in a room uh, with a bunch of media and with a bunch of people. We we had the privilege and we, we had the honor of talking to Michael. And what initially started out with only us having half an hour with Michael ended up with us having 45 minutes with Michael. And unlike uh, any other interview I've ever had in my life, this wasn't only a interview opportunity but this was, without a doubt, a life-changing interview. Um, it's, it's been two weeks now, a little bit more than two weeks since we've spent time with Michael. And I can truly testify of a shift that took place in, in my spiritual life with Jesus. And it's not because Michael W. Smith, because of Michael W. Smith. I think it is because of what Michael W. Smith shows to the world. So... I am so, so, so blessed in sharing the next content with you. I'd like to, before I start, I'd like to just clarify that this interview wasn't only a, a purely radio pulpit, Dwayne van Rensburg and Janine van Ikerk interview. Um, myself and Janine were blessed in being part of a panel of media. And for the sake of this interview, uh, where... We, we've got other voices asking questions. I will be repeating uh, those questions uh, for the sake of us being proudly radio pulpit. And um, because we got the audio file at a later stage, uh, there's also some voices and some stuff where perhaps myself or Janine have spoken where the audio wasn't clear enough. So uh, you will hear Michael W. Smith unedited, but I will be re-asking most of the questions. Um, but I just got to share. I just got to share. Got to share this with you. I am so extremely, extremely excited to, uh, to spend the next 45 minutes with you and share with you Michael W. Smith. All right. So I think let's get the show on the road. This is, this is Michael W. Smith, ladies and gents. This is uh, the winner of three Grammy Awards, 45 Dove Awards. Uh, probably one of the most successful international artists that the world has ever seen from a gospel Christian perspective. He's got more than 300 recorded songs. And uh, we are so blessed in South Africa to be spending um, time with Michael W. Smith. And we are the last country that Michael W. Smith will be visiting for his world tour. The tour was called the Waymaker Tour. So we are absolutely, absolutely blessed having Michael W. Smith in the country. Um, but before we get there, uh, Michael, in 2019, you almost missed, we almost missed the tour. Um, you almost missed your own tour in South Africa. Uh, something happened, I remember specifically sitting in the auditorium in 2019, and the show started probably an hour later, because everyone was yeah, The band... Everyone, the sound, the lights, a full auditorium, yet Michael W. Smith wasn't here. So, uh, <laughs> you weren't here, Michael? Uh, well, almost weren't here. What happened? Well, first of all, it's, it's, it really is great to be back. And it, it's, we've traveled all around the world. This is my fourth continent. 
of the Waymaker World Tour, and I can't think of a better place to end than South Africa. So, um, but what he was relating to was four years ago. I was uh, we all went to the airport and and getting ready to come on the plane, and then uh, long story short, this lady at the Delta desk says, "You're not getting on this plane because they will not receive you because you don't have a you don't have a blank page on your passport." I've never heard anything like that before. And I just was just bewildered by the whole thing. And so I would normally be a little upset, but I didn't get upset. I just thought, well, God, you must be up to something. And so while my whole team got on the plane, I am spending the night to see if I can get another passport in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I walk outside. They have a hotel for me. It's seven minutes away. And I get into an Uber car with a guy named Reuben. And he wants to know what I do. Well, I'm a singer, and I'm supposed to be on a plane to South Africa, but I'm not on the plane to South Africa. And, and so we just began to talk, and he wanted to hear my story. He said, well, I went to church camp. and But he really probed me, and I was talking about I, I had this radical encounter with Jesus Christ changed my life. So we're 30 seconds from the hotel, and he stops the car, and he says, i got 30 seconds left with you before I drop you off. Would you please explain to me what a radical encounter with Jesus Christ is? So he's, he creeped and went really slow up, the, up to the hotel. And I told him in 30 seconds what it was. And he stopped and he said, well, I had a pastor in my car two days ago. I got you in my car today. I think God is trying to speak to me. And, uh, y'all, Terry, I just thinking about it. And, uh, I said, Reuben, I will pray for you. And I don't believe, I believe God's in all the details, and I believe we were supposed to meet. And I got out of the car, and I walked into the lobby. I went, that's why I missed my flight. That's why I'm not on my way to South Africa. So you just learn to embrace things that sometimes feel uncomfortable. And, oh, my gosh, that's not my plan. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And am I, am I even going to get to South Africa? So, And then the next day, and just, oh, it was just a fiasco. I mean, I, it was crazy stuff and i've i know lots of people watched in dc you know powerful people and i still couldn't get a passport but i barely got it at the end and i you know and i i got here i kind of arranged my sleep schedule on the plane and and then i had a police escort i think and i just pulled up here i jumped in the shower and i walked on stage and here i am so that's what happened four <laughs> years ago so but 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 it was all for reuben you know it was all just for for that for that guy so Oh well, sometimes God uses a uh, <laughs> even a passport to uh, to get to us, and in that case, it was a Reuben. Luckily, this time around, coming into South Africa, Michael, you didn't have a Reuben, but um, <laughs> who knows? Maybe you'll have a Reuben on your way out. Michael, you've been doing this for a couple of years. There's got to be a a why. Um, why do you do this? There's got to be some form of an explanation. What is your what is your why? Well, the why is is I've been called, you know. First, you have a you have a transformation. You find out that Jesus really is who He said He was, and it and it changes you. And and then you start to really understand that you can't earn it and all that. And you go through all that kind of stuff, and you learn really, as my friend Brennan Manning would say, not God, Abba not only loves you, but He actually likes you. And not only does he like you, he's extremely fond of you, and he just wants to be your papa. You know, so you, when you, when that thing gets embedded in you, it just completely changes everything, the way you see the world. So when you do that, whether you're a musician or a writer, you just want to hit in your sweet spot. We're all gifted to do something, and I think we're all gifted to expand the kingdom of God through whatever gifts that we have. So the why is I'm called. I can either say yes or I can say no. Why would I say? Why would I say no? So, uh, all right, Michael W. Smith is called, but 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 yet Michael W. Smith entails so much more than just Michael W. Smith: a husband, a father, a grandfather, um, and and everybody might not necessarily um, have Michael W. Smith's why. Um, you are <laughs> happily married to 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 Debbie. You have. <laughs> You've got five children, but hold on to your seats, ladies and gents. He's got 17 grandkids. 
Michael, how do you how do you stay sane, or should I rather say, how do you keep it balanced between being a husband, being a father, being a grandfather, being an internationally um, acclaimed singer, um, three Grammys, forty five Dove Awards, three hundred plus songs, a world tour, fourth continent? Um, how do you keep it balanced? I never. That was never the case for me, and I we knew when the when it started to really become successful, and I was out with Amy Grant and and places were full and you know you're trying to keep it all in perspective um i remember debbie and i sit down talking and going you know there's if you look at statistics there there's a better chance of us being a casualty than not and we're going to just anchor down and say we're not going to be a casualty and so we just set up parameters i was never away from my family for more than two weeks ever um and that didn't really happen that often, honestly. And then I would fly home a lot. I would do shows for 13 years. I would walk off a stage in America and land at midnight and drive my kids to school the next day. You know, So whatever we had to do to protect our family and our kids. And then I married way over my head. She's, uh, we've been married 41 and a half years. And, and she's this five foot three little thing, you know. And she's just a godly, godly woman, you know. I wake up, I'm the, I, I get up last, so she gets up early. Now, every time I walk in the kitchen, she's just, she's just in the Word. She's sitting over there just studying the Word every single morning, you know. And I'm going, dang it, man, I got to get my act together. Because <laughs> she, she, she kind of help, helps me raise my A game, what, what, whatever A game I have. But, she, but she, she's, been, she's been the wind at my back the, the entire way because she believed in the calling on my life and she still does to this day probably even more than ever now look michael i might not have your career yet um but there's one thing that i personally do have and uh, i have the same testimony regarding my wife andri in my life um uh, andri is my debbie and um she also keeps me grounded in how how blessed can we be all right, so Michael, I've said this uh, probably two times, I think, in this interview already, in this conversation already. Three Grammys, 45 Dove Awards, 300 plus songs. Now you are on the Waymaker World Tour. Um, how do you choose your songs? Um, I mean, is it, is it, is it all only spiritual led? Um, is, it, is it led by what is popular right now? What's, what's in demand? What country is on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the charts in that country? How do you go about choosing a set list um, for a specific tour is it the same at every venue on the tour is it spiritually led how do you go about that specific uh, situation well you hope it's spirit led i mean i think my dilemma is is i'm not the new kid on the block and there's only 300 songs to pick from you know and so and, and and you're okay. trying to, and you're trying to make everybody happy, and because everybody, there's people coming tonight going, oh my gosh, he's going to sing my favorite song. Well, maybe, maybe not. And so it's just, and you know, it's not, you know, I was leading, I led worship for 19 years at my church before I ever did a quote unquote vertical record. I was doing Place in the World and Go Bush Young Man and For You and all those pop songs, but I was a worship leader in my church. So, so I think. I love singing some of those older songs because a lot of those older songs can radically change people's lives. You know, songs like Place in This World, you know. And so I've, I feel led to sing those songs as well. So I think we've, it's trying to find a balance of how do you sort of pull people in, change the atmosphere, and sort of get everybody engaged. And then you somehow, t you take people on a little bit of a journey you know, and then, then it sort of becomes pretty vertical, which is awesome. You know, um, I mean, I wouldn't do that at my church, but but for me as an artist, yeah. We, matter of fact, I just did a ten day run in America, and I'd never done this before. I did. I, we did. There were forty two songs on the set list, and we did lots of medleys, but we just wanted to try to cover as much ground as we could. So obviously, I can't do that here, but there are a lot of songs on the set list. And it, and I change it. I'm an ebb and flow guy. I'm like I'm, I'm I'm like all my team. They all run when I say I've got a wild idea, because because I just will just go, we're going to change the show tonight. And I and I 
that's what I tonight tonight shows different than last night. All right, so um, <laughs> my father always says, "With a grayness comes wisdom," and um, I'm, I'm I'm so careful with asking questions regarding age. I think anyone is, and I, I'm. <laughs> Would would you say, um, do you think you've become a bit more nostalgic over the years? What kind of question is that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, may, may, maybe a little. I mean, you know, I don't... All this stuff in terms of success, I hold it lightly. You know, you just... Even if you don't sing your fa- your favorite song, well... Well, who cares? You know what I'm saying? It's like it's 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 just being in the moment. God, what are you doing? And it's like last night. I was just I was so moved. I was I think I cried like four times. I, you know, I got and I just I just randomly went into the goodness of God. That wasn't even on the set list, you know. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question, but was it nostalgic? Is that it? <laughs> All right. So. Um... You you just you just spoke about being grounded. Um, obviously, um, being Michael W. Smith, uh, you are in the limelight quite a lot. And um, unfortunately, the world's term for this is fame. Um, I think I think I think what we'd like to know is how do you manage the limelight um, and the fame? Yet you still yeah you, know, you still stay faithful to the Lord. Well, as you get older and wiser, hopefully, you learn that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's just not. And and I learned, too, that, and I've learned the hard way, because I remember back in the day going, how many records did we sell? Did it go gold? All that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter, you know. But, so then you realize, and I watch these people in this never-ending cycle, people who, who are not believers, you know. If you sell a million, then the next time you have to sell two. If you sell two million, then you have to sell five. It's never enough. And you learn that there's only one person that can fill the void, and that's Jesus, you know. So um, the whole fame thing, I've got a great, I'm in a prayer group that's been together for 35 years. And so I think if I got the big head and thought I was some big rock star, I think they would come up and slap me around, you know. So, dude, pull it together. They anchor you as well. Yes, no. and I think I think we all need that. I think we all need a tribe. We all need a mm. people that we walk life with, and because if you walk it alone, you will go down. So, Michael, myself, and uh, a bunch of other people in the room, uh, praise and worship leaders, we are we are often on the end where we serve, 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 um, but but very so often we need to be served as well. Um, that, that being said, when you are back home, um, do you serve in a church? What, what is your involvement in your, in your local church situation? Is there a, a Sunday where you can just break away and just be normal? Or is it always Michael W. Smith? What's, what's your involvement in, in your life, in your local church? Yeah, we started a church, which is, I could write a book about that, man. Um, it's like I don't have anything else to do. Um, but I learned a lot about pastoring a church, which I kind of did for two years. Right now, we are actively involved in our son-in-law's church. He planted a church. Um, so we're just trying to help him. You know, I'm there half the time because I'm in places like here. You know, um, It's a small church, and I lead from time to time. So, but, yeah, I'm, we're excited about that. But it is a... I love a small church for some reason. Um, seems to be a little better at community, but big churches do it well. But I'm grateful for for what's going on with Jack. Right. So, um, being Michael W. Smith, and so how under the radar can you truly keep Michael W. Smith at a small local church? Surely, um, surely people still pitch up there with the wrong wrong intentions. I mean, it's. I mean, it's Michael W. Smith leading worship at a church, and you don't have to pay for a ticket. You can just go in there. Um, <laughs> uh, wow, Michael W. Smith. Um, but from your side, you're, you're, just, you're just Michael. You're just, you're just, yeah, you're just Michael. Um, and I think that's the hard, that's been the hard thing. If you, you, 
you really did start off being like Bethel or being Matt Redmond. You had this whole pop thing, and now you're this worship leader at this church, you know. So I can't do anything about that. I just have to do what I need to do. And what I need to do is diffuse that. And you diffuse it. It, um, every day I or, you know whether it's leading worship or tonight what's my posture and humility so God what's my posture and humility so I remember like three four times at the church, when I was leading worship back in the day we turned every we turned everything around and we faced the screen so, so people wouldn't look at me which I really loved that I thought that was awesome so um but yeah, they and and people were looking for authenticity too. They can, people can see it if it's not real. So, as a worship leader, your goal is to change the atmosphere where people can meet God. It's your job. It's it's not your job to be an entertainer, you know. And then I say all that when I like tonight. It's like, well, what am I doing? Like my instrumental stuff. Are they? I've never. I'm, I'm getting myself in trouble here. Um, I've, I've I've always had the a hard um, time with labels, like you're a contemporary Christian artist. I don't really understand that, really, because I see the world from a Christian point of view. Loving my wife is worship. Loving on my kids is worship. You know, loving on the person at the grocery store. You know, you're being Jesus to people. That's worship, you know. And so I write all these cinematic instrumental stuff. Well, oh, is that not is that not a Christian song? That's where it's a struggle for me. So I tend not to get into all the label kind of stuff. I just go. I'm a believer. I'm a Christ follower, and this is what I do. And I feel like every melody that I write, especially if they're good, you know, which is not always the case. But I'm always thanking God. I'm just going, fuck God, thank you, thank you for another another melody that I can share with the world. Right, so Michael, of course, being around the world and um, not having an open page on your on your on your passport, um, one needs to to look out for burnout and obviously be aware of spiritual attacks. How do you, how do you go about? Because obviously, with all due respect, Michael W. Smith is a is a, is a huge threat to the enemy. Um, uh, in previous uh, Michael W. Smith concerts that I've been with, that I've been in the auditorium and I've been in the crowd, it, it's, been, it's, it's, it's been an interaction with the Holy Spirit. And, and you've said it's so beautiful in the past, uh, a worshiper's job is to create an atmosphere for someone to connect with Jesus. Um, so inevitably, inevitably you, you will be under some form of a spiritual attack. How do you, how do you keep the faith without burnout, and without spiritual attacks? I take sabbaticals, mm. which I think is really, really important for everybody in, in ministry. You've got you to gotta go off. I don't know if that's to your closet. I mean, for me, it's my farm, which is really, really quiet, 200 acres land. I go to Colorado every year, a place in the mountains, and I go all by myself. And so... I just think you've got to just, you can't go, 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 because you'll, you'll, you'll burn out, you know. So, and then I've got a mentor, which I think everybody needs a mentor, and he's been my mentor for 40 years, and he's 93 years old, and he's rocking. I mean, the dude is like killing it, you know, he's like, he's not lost. He's been to Israel three times already this year, and he's 93 years old. And his name is Don Finto, you can look him up. And he's changed my life, you know. So, yeah, mentor, mentors, uh, sabbaticals, pulled away, being quiet. All right, so, Michael, for interest's sake, if you had an opportunity to spend one entire day with young up-and-coming future uh, worshipers, uh, if you could take them through the motions, if you could prepare them, if you could teach them something, what is that... What is that one thing that that you would like to impart in their lives? Well, first of all, I've already said it. I would say it's not about you. And I'd probably start there. And why are you doing it? You know, um, 
yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, I, I probably, I probably would like to be in the room and I could read the room. I can read people a little bit. I feel like it's one of the maybe it's one of the very few gifts I have discernment. But but just try to, uh, yeah, your job. I said it already too. Is your job is to change the atmosphere in the room where people can meet God. I mean, that's your job. Your job is not to entertain, and your job is not to give us the, this unbelievable light show. And, all, and again, I'm getting myself in trouble because there's nothing wrong with lights and sound. But, you know, ultimately as a worship leader, you, you, you want stuff to happen in the room that you can't explain. You know, like supernatural stuff, you know. Because I think God still in the business of doing stuff like that. It shows up, you know. And what is it about music? I just, it blows my mind. I mean, just this vehicle, these melodies that captivate people's hearts. I mean, it's just, gosh, it just blows my mind. And then I think the songs are, I would probably get into the whole song thing, which I have a, I'm very opinionated about songs because I think there are a lot of mediocre worship songs. And we're supposed to be the best. If you look at art back in centuries past, who was making the best art? It was believers, you know. And so sometimes I think we settle for less, you know, if I'm talking to songwriters. Then we need to, we need to raise the bar when it comes to songs. You know? So um, that, was, that would just be my start. But I hope I answered your question. We'll skip my question because you asked the why, which I love. Thank you very much. I want to know the circumstance, the event that was the biggest challenge between you and God. Like an event or something that happened in my life? Something that happened in your life that was the biggest challenge between you and God. Uh, I might have a few of those. <laughs> um, I think probably when in 95 that I, I went through a, a, a about a six-month long depression period in my life and I've really never been depressed in my life it kind of came out of nowhere and I couldn't and I, I kept thinking what do I have to be depressed about i got this amazing woman in my life got these amazing kids i got this amazing mentor and I just went into a funk and I couldn't get out I just so strange uh, I still don't know really why um, maybe it was just a test of my faith to see if I would hang on or or cut loose and go try something else but I just stayed I just stayed on my knees and I was like God I just I don't get it so it was kind of one of those things it's like David so many times in the Psalms we all think the Psalms are full of like how majestic is your name in all the earth and there's a lot of heart cry from David. And I kind of felt like I was doing that. And then it was crazy. The six months later, it was about six months, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, which I never do. That's not a musician's hours. He loves to sleep right at night. I got in my car and went to my studio, and I started to write a song called I'll Lead You Home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you, the lyric is kind of this reflection of that period of time that I was going through. And I wrote the song and I never went back. I, never, I just kind of snapped out of it. So a lot of, a lot of mystery. One day I'll, I'll find out, but so glad I came out of it. Okay. So Michael, as a musician myself and, um, Knowing that writing songs doesn't always just come naturally and easy for me. Um, for interest, what is, what is it that you write first? Do you write the melody first? Do you write the lyrics first? How do you go about your writing of your songs? I usually write the melody. Yeah, I'm not really good at the lyric thing. I mean, I have an idea. I always have to have someone come in. But almost, I'd say 95, 98% of the time, really is melodies fall out of the sky. I just catch it. <laughs> All right. Then, of course, um, how do you leave your own emotions, your own baggage off the stage? Um, I mean, come on. We are 
uh, as worship leaders, we are human beings. We go through our own trials and tribulations. Uh, we go through family feud. We go through challenges. We go through uh, financial situations. Um, you, just, you just spoke about your own six months of depression. Yet, you walk onto a stage and you have the responsibility of leading the Church of Christ in a godly manner. How do you leave everything behind before... Um, before leading worship, I think, yeah, I think I phrased that correct. Um, please. Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? Just when you don't feel like it, you know, or you've had a, a few, a few fires to put out, you know. You know what? I just think you just have to go, God. I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I remember I showed up at church lead worship this is back in the 80s it's crazy late 80s early 90s and i was so tired i've been on the road and i was exhausted almost exhausted to the point of i was almost in tears that's how tired i was and i had committed to lead worship at belmont church and i remember telling don Fento, who was pastoring the church at that point i said don i just i'm spent i don't i don't have anything and Don laid hands on me, prayed for me. I didn't really feel much better, but what did he pray for me? And Don will tell you to the day that that's, that was probably the top five worship moments he's ever been in his life. So when you're weak, he's strong. You know, it just kind of comes through, you know. And so you, you, you might not feel like it, but God, you've got to take this because I'm not really capable of doing it. So you just need to show up and just be the wind at my back this morning. He's never failed me. He'll never fail you. you know, so. All right. Then, of course, uh, the next question, um, this, the audio of this specific question came through correct because this was the audio where me, myself, and I, Dwayne, when I, when I had the mic in my hands, and this is probably one of the most vulnerable moments for myself on radio, perhaps something about me that you guys don't know, um, that being said, uh, this, is, this is one of the questions I asked Michael W. Smith. Um, Michael, um, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I say pastor's children are good at attending masquerades because we know how to put on the mask when we go to church, but inside we did. And at some stage, I ran away from God, and I tried the drinking. I tried everything. And one morning at three o'clock in a gutter in London, no one around me, drunk, I asked God for an answer. And the next moment my phone started playing a random song called Agnes Day. Agnes Day. And in my situation, my state of mind, I went to the throne rooms of heaven and I sat right at the feet of Jesus. I need to know from you, where were you, in what frame of mind, spiritually, that the Holy Spirit take you in to write a song like Hallelujah, Agnes Day? Wow. Bro, that's awesome. You need to write a book about that story. That's incredible. You know what? Oh my gosh! Now I'm gonna get to start crying. Uh, I was in my basement in my house, working on a record called "Go West, Young Man." Go West, Young Man. All these pop stuff, all these pop songs, and the record was about done. And there was, yeah, for you was on that record. Place in this world was on that record, and I just remember just going down and sitting on the piano. And just playing that song without even thinking about it. And, da, 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 da. and I just and I closed my eyes and I'm crying and I'm going and I'm just it just came out of it fell out of the sky. And it didn't and I remember when I went, Wow, what is that? I mean I, the first thing I thought of was I, I, I have to leave this at my church. But then I immediately thought, I've got to figure out a way to put this on the record. And it didn't fit everything else, pop-wise. It's just, 
vertical song, and I wanted to call it Agnus Day. And so we went in and cut a track, and I went to New York City, and I got a, I got the American Boy Choir to sing on it. So the original Agnus Day is from the Goa Showman record. A lot of people think that's a new song. It's not. not. And so it's been cut multiple times, so I don't know which version you heard, but that's that's where it started. We had this young kid who was 12 years old with an angelic voice singing the verse Agnes Day. And so, and then, you know, I guess it really became really well known when the worship album came out, which is 2001. So now people sing it all around the world and just, it takes your breath away, you know, especially when they start singing in their own language. That's when it takes your breath away. So, I mean, I wish I had a, a much more compelling story. I mean, it was, it was pretty simple. It just, it literally fell out of the sky. And I'm grateful. Thank you for sharing that. It, I'm not going to forget that. God's still, in the, he's still in the business of rescuing people. Amazing. All right, so Michael, everywhere you go in the world, people know who you are. Um, ironically enough, when you go around Africa to countries like Nigeria and uh, Botswana and Zimbabwe, people know who's Michael W. Smith. Yet, when we talk about genres, and you've made your, you've made your stance pretty clear on how you feel about genres, um, different cultures have got different genres. Um, how, would, how, would you, how would you adapt to making a... a a relevant genre for the African audience. Um, how do you go about adapting your your writing and stuff like that when it gets to genre? Uh, more specifically, pointing my finger uh, to to Africa. Well, I need to come here and live for a while, and I could probably answer that question. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess you could say it's a, maybe it's a little bit like that in America, but I know music is such a huge part of the culture here, and. Um, I would probably I'm, I'm saying this like I know what I'm talking about but maybe I don't but I, I have a feeling that I would love celebrating your culture here more than I would my culture in America because um, it's pretty it's kind of, a lot of it's dark you know and, and maybe you got the same deal here but I think anybody who's a believer you there's got to be some sort of intent on some level, if you're going to reach the people, then you have to sing or play something that they can identify with, that they like. And so it's finding that just beautiful marriage of writing a really great melody that merges with culture and becomes the song that people are going to sing for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's a dream as a songwriter. But more importantly, it's a song that that captivates the heart of God. That would be the ultimate. Yeah. All right. So um, as I told you guys earlier in this specific broadcast, I had to revoice some, some of these questions due to some bad audio. But there's one specific audio that came through pretty nice, and that was when a, when a little child asked Michael a question. And I'd like to play this because you just heard my vulnerable side on radio, and you've heard what Agnes Day means to me personally and how it changed my life and that is actually so profound because I had to revoice all of these questions but I'm not going to revoice this question because this is just an awesome testimony to me being in the room with Michael W. Smith having the privilege of asking Michael W. Smith questions my favorite song is Agnes Day yet little child, a child asks him a question and listen to the question and listen to the answer what's your favorite song you've ever wrote <sighs> What's my favorite song I ever wrote? Well, it might be Agnes Day. <laughs> that and a song called Place in This World. Is that a good answer? Okay. <laughs> well, according to me, that's the best answer you could have given. Uh, that being said, uh, something that's very profound, and um, as, a, as a worshiper, understanding horizontal worship and understanding vertical worship. Um, we serve a timeless God. So even though Agnes Day is, 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 is old, a lot of years old, it still remains relevant to the gospel and relevant to the message. Um, um, and according to me, Agnes Day is a vertical worship. But from a horizontal worship point of view, 
we, we do try and stay relevant to the times that we live in. Um, so we do change the sound of our songs, yet not the message of our songs. Does that make any sense? Um, I'd like to know, how do Michael W. Smith, let me put it this way, how do uh, a three-time Grammy Award winner, a five-time Dove Awards winner, uh, 300-plus songs written, been on every continent on earth, how do you remain relevant even though you are <laughs> well beyond your 60s and a grandfather to 17? How do you remain relevant? Because when, when I do radio shows, when I go around and I, when I talk to schools, yet the number one requested person remains Michael W. Smith. You are beyond 60. How do you remain relevant to the youth of today? Well, the answer is yes to both questions. I mean, it, I think you have to... I mean, obviously, the most important thing is just being spirit-driven, obviously. But I, th- I think you have to reinvent yourself. But reinventing yourself but staying true to who you are. Like, n- the world doesn't need another Bono. The world doesn't need another Michael Jackson. You know, and I remember we would all chase it, and we'd hear all these songs on the radio back in the 80s going, oh, man, we got to write a song like, Thriller, no, no, no. You know, you know we get, a, get caught up in this trying to, you know, be popular or trying to, and probably the intent was good because we're, we want to write infectious music that can captivate people's hearts and people come hearing music and then find out, oh my gosh, he's, that guy's singing about Jesus, you know. But th- that was a disaster, you know, trying to chase a certain sound. So what I do is I work with a bunch of kids. When I say kids, I'm talking people in their 20s. You know, who are believers and and, and um, are really good at their craft. I'm not saying I have you have to only work with kids, but I'm saying they've got their ear to the ground and they're smart. And I know a few of those people who got their heads on straight. The one guy's named Kyle Lee, who produced Surrounded and did Awaken and and half of a million lights as well. I mean, just a really talented guy. So. So I think there's that part of it, um, and I think a lot of it comes to production too a little bit. You know, I'll give you an example: the Waymaker song, you know, written by a lady in Nigeria. Um, when I heard that song, I thought, "Oh my gosh, I've got to, I got, I got to record that song because nobody in America had ever heard a Waymaker. I don't know how long it's been popular here." And so we did it on a live record, and then I did something I said I would never do is you cut a song and everybody wants to go, oh, if you put background vocals on, if you if you do this, you know, it can get radio play. I'm, I'm not going to play that game. I'm, I've never done that. But I, it's the only time I've ever changed my mind because I knew something inside of me about Waymaker, it needed to be a single. And so I got Kyle to do the production and it's, it sounds great. I mean, just but I'm not. That's not. I'm not saying about me. He's he had the gift to just really make it radio friendly, which I hate that word, but just give it something where it might have some impact. And all of a sudden, this thing is. And I'm not the only one who's cut the song either. I mean, Leland's cut it. A bunch of people have cut it, but my version was a big, big single in America. And 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 then because I, I think God's in all the details, I think honestly, I did it because I think it was a God thing, and here we have Waymaker in the middle of a pandemic. Who would have ever thunk it, you know? And people all around the world going, gosh, it's been my anchor song, it's been my anchor song, it's been my anchor song. And and I found out about the song by my daughter who was going through a really difficult time, who one day I walked in, and long story, she's, she's a single mother, which has been a pretty awful thing for us or husband left it's not a crazy story one day i walk in and she said dad have you heard waymaker i said no never heard of it. she says it's my go-to song that's what she said to me and i said well if it's your go-to song i bet it could be my go-to song and so she played me a version from some pentecostal church in ohio in the states and right then i knew that i, I i'm going to record that song so i didn't mean to expound on your thing but i think I think a combination of going, God, what do you want me to write? What's what's in store? I'm just, I'm totally available to God. I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. 
And then surrounding yourself with young talent, I think, has a lot to do with being, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm convinced that how many people are coming? There's not a seat empty tonight. I'm convinced if I hadn't done some of that stuff, I'm not sure we'd have a full house. You know what I'm saying? I'm not even sure I'd be, be around. You know, so it's it's like reinventing but staying true to who you are. I think that's the key. So sorry for the long answer. That's that a good true. question. Good evening. Um, Michael, I think you have one of the most memorable memorable voices that I can think of. And when I think of Go West, Young Man, and Sarana, for example, your vocals still sound similar, and it's not a bad thing for me. Um, what do you do practically to keep your skills sort of up to par, in the sense that bringing excellence unto the Lord, but also stewardship of what he has sort of blessed you with? Well, thank you. I, You're welcome. I really never felt like I had a really good voice, honestly. I mean, I've been hanging out with Andre Bocelli. It's night and day. You know? <laughs> Different genres, so it doesn't um, count. <laughs> but maybe I have a dis- – everybody's got a distinctive voice. They all have something – you know what? I used to um, – I've, I've lost my voice a few times, and I never practiced. I never I practiced ever my whole life. I've sang from my throat my whole life, which I'm very fortunate that I still have a voice. I changed all that three years ago uh, when I did lose my voice and had to cancel some shows, which is awful. Um, you never want to have to do that. And so I went and saw a vocal coach. And so I've been singing wrong my whole life. And so now I practice and I do some do some stuff. And, I'm, and I think the biggest thing for me is that I'm, I don't know why my voice hasn't changed. I, I certainly can't hit the notes that I used to hit. As you get older, it gets a little bit. My dad would always say, what, son, why do you write those songs so high? And I'd say, well, because they sound great up there, Dad. They sound great. Now I wish I would listen to him. Um, um, but it's amazing when you sing from your diaphragm, when you sing from this guy, you don't have to push. You don't have to. You think, you think I just, you know, blazing this. I was like, you don't have to do that, you know? You just. Use this guy, and you don't sing hard, and then you can you can sing through two hours and still have it. So, just a little bit of wisdom that helps you at all. So. All right, then, Michael. Uh, in conclusion, the final the final question. Uh, last year, I had the privilege of interviewing um, Francine Rivers, and I asked her, "When is retirement on the cards for her?" And she said, someone in ministry never retires. <laughs> What's next for Michael W. Smith? I think I represent a world of people that would like to know, is Michael still around? Because we really don't want to lose Michael W. Smith to the industry. What's next for Michael W. Smith? Yeah, I th- well, a couple things. I think on a non-musical level, um... I think the people that I've got, whatever influence I have, I think they need to be fathered. So I think I need to be a father, just like Don has been to me. And we got a lot of people in our industry that are doing it well. We've got some people who are not doing it well. And they just need to be fathered. You know? So I think, and I'm really completely happy to do that the rest of my life. Uh, will the song still come? Uh, every year I'll go through a drought and I'm thinking, it's, I say it every year, it's over, it's over. God, thank you. I'm going to go find another job every year. And, uh, and then I'll walk in the studio and I'll write five songs in 30 minutes, you know? Um, so I'm working on, I've been working on a symphony for 10 years, really. So this big orchestral thing that I'll, that I really, really actually love, and I think I probably need to finish it. And He's going to launch it in South Africa. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> so there's that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I really don't know. I mean, I remember I was talking to a producer, a really good friend of mine who's producing U2's record that just came out, and he's a really good friend, and I asked him, this, I kind of asked him what you asked me, what's next? Like, what, what do I do? I don't I feel like I've done everything a little bit. Like, yeah, got any recommendations? And you know what he told me? He says, he said, you could just go do whatever you want to do. 
You know what he told me? He said, you've graduated. I went, what? He said, Michael, you've graduated. You could go do anything. Go make a poker record. Go to... Go to South Africa, make a record, you know, whatever. He was just like, and I'm going, and I don't, I wrote, I don't fully agree, but I, I, got, I got his point of, man, just, basically, just, just, bro, go sing your songs for the world, which is what I've been doing, you know, because I feel called to the nations. Do I feel like my best days are ahead? I actually really do. And I feel like the wind is in my back. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how it's going to flush out. And you know what? It's okay that I don't know. And I'm not worried about it. And if I never write another song, I can sit here and go, God, thank you for the songs that you've given me. So you just be grateful, you know? So we'll see what happens. Once I, I've been so busy. I, I don't write very well on the road because you're so, as you'll see tonight, I spend so much energy you know, when you go back to the hotel room or you get on planes and stuff, the last, it's just, you just don't have any time. When this tour is over, when there's time to be at the studio, that's when it starts to flow. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the next couple of months. Just an awesome, awesome, awesome opportunity that I had to spend time with Michael. And I'm such a humble guy. I learned so much from Michael W. Smith. I hope you enjoyed uh, this. I believe it's an exclusive interview. And like I said earlier, um, I, I voiced uh, a few people's voices uh, during this interview. So it was not only myself and Janine Funny Kerk that was in the, in the room with him. That being said, it, it still remains. The message was amazing. The outcome was amazing. And such a privilege and honor to have met Michael W. Smith and to ask him these questions. That's it for this evening's show. And um, I had to do this this evening. I had to share this with the world. Thank you for choosing Radio Pulpit as your daily companion. And I thank you for staying tuned to Radio Pulpit. It's such a blessing and honor. And given the fact that this is Michael W. Smith's evening, um, let's play out with an awesome song by Michael W. Smith called Surrounded, or you would better know it, as this is how I fight my battles. Blessings, guys, and um, please remember to stay tuned to Radio Pulpit, your daily companion.